Thank you very much, uh, Ben, for doing that reading for us. It's a real privilege to be able to share from God's Word with you this morning. Thomas Tarrance was a member of the Ku Klux Klan. One summer night, he and and an accomplice attempted to plant a bomb at the home of a Jewish businessman, Uh, but they were ambushed by the police. His accomplice was killed at the scene, and Thomas was critically wounded, and somehow he survived, uh, and he was sentenced to 30 years in prison. And in prison, he read a lot of books. Initially, it was kind of books that reinforced his racist beliefs, anti-Semitic and racist material, but gradually he moved on to various other things, classical philosophy initially, and then eventually even the New Testament, specifically the Gospels. Thomas says, as I read the Gospels in my prison cell, my eyes were opened in a way that went beyond simply understanding the words on a page, on the page. As the true meaning of God's word became clearer, so did its relevance to my life. I had been blind to spiritual reality all my life and was now beginning to see. Right at the end of our passage that Ben read for us this morning, Jesus makes a hugely significant statement. And it's this statement I want to bring to your attention right at the start of our talk this morning. Ben read it in verse 39, and it'll appear on the screen now as well. Uh, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. These words sum up the passage as a whole. Uh, Jesus is saying here that when we encounter him, when we come into contact with his light, when we consider the claims that Jesus makes, one of two things happens to us. Either we have our spiritual blindness taken away, removed, and we have our eyes opened, or our spiritual sight grows dimmer and dimmer and we end up in the darkness. Jesus either gives sight to the blind or he blinds those who claim to see. Now, why do I bring that up right at the beginning of the talk, particularly given it's at the end of our passage? Well, because as we go through this passage together, we will be encountering Jesus for ourselves. That's what we're doing in this series. We're looking at Jesus. We're assessing his claims. We're encountering him. We're standing in the light of his presence, if you like. And as we do that, as we consider the claims that he makes, well, one of two things will happen to us. Either we'll come to see things more clearly, or we'll grow increasingly blind. That's what Jesus says, isn't it? And therefore, it's vital that we take these things seriously. And with that in mind, I want to consider our passage under three very simple headings. The first is recreation, and that's section 1 to 12, verse 1 to 12. The second is interrogation, verses 13 to 34. Uh, And the third is salvation, verses 35 to 41. So let's consider recreation to begin with. Right at the start of our passage, we encounter this man who we're told was blind from birth. A man who'd never seen the golden light of the sun. He'd never gazed into the eyes of the people he loved. He'd never seen a flower bloom or watched as a flock of birds flew across the evening sky. All this man knew was darkness. He was alone, he was isolated from the world around him, and this man encounters Jesus. But first comes the disciples' somewhat cutting question. Did you notice it? They turn to Jesus and they say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That seems like quite a cruel thing to say, doesn't it? Their logic was that this man or his parents must have caused the blindness through some kind of sinful act. Maybe the man sinned in the womb, as some people strangely seem to believe possible at the time. 
Maybe God knew that he was going to sin later in life, so he struck him with blindness. Maybe his parents were being punished for, for some wrongdoing they had done. And the logic was that suffering is always as a result of specific individual sin. And Jesus' response, well, it blows that idea out of the water, doesn't it? Neither this man nor his parents sin, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus corrects the flawed thinking of his disciples. This blindness wasn't because of specific individual sin. This man wasn't being punished through blindness. And I find that really comforting, Jesus' response there, especially if you this morning are going through a time of suffering. Hopefully this is a comfort to you. Uh, I think when we face suffering, we can be tempted to think it's something deficient in us or even something deficient in God. The Bible teaches us that suffering is as a result of human sin in a broad sense. We have rebelled against God as human beings. The world is subject to a curse because of sin. And we see that all the time in our lives, don't we? Relationships break down. People die. Our bodies break down. The Bible also does tell us that specific individual sin can have consequences. We need to be mindful of that. If we drink a liter of vodka every day, our livers will be destroyed. If we watch pornography, our brains will be damaged. Sin does have consequences. However, Jesus makes very clear here that our suffering is not just because of specific individual sins. In fact, the reason for our suffering can often simply be because we live in a good world gone bad a world that he will one day make new. And in the case of this man born blind, Jesus indicates that the tragedy of this man's blindness is actually going to result in him becoming a shining banner, a billboard, if you like, of God's kindness, of God's grace, and power to restore what sin had destroyed. By the grace of God, this man's life is going to give us a little glimpse of the new world to come, the new heaven and the new earth that we've already been considering wonderfully this morning, the new creation that all people are invited to share in. In that world, cancer, depression, broken relationships, financial turmoil, all of it will be removed. It will be paradise with Jesus Christ at the center, a world free from death, mourning, crying, or pain. And did you notice how Jesus refers to himself in verse 5? I am the light of the world. That statement is an echo of the Lord God revealing his name to Moses in the book of Exodus. I am who I am, said God. Make no mistake here, Jesus is claiming to be God, the eternal, self-existent one, God who had entered the world to flood it with his light, to pay for my sin and for your sin at the cross, to triumph over death by his resurrection, to restore all that was broken. And to demonstrate the reality of who he is, Jesus spits on the ground, makes some mud with his saliva, and smears it on the man's eyes. He tells the man to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, incidentally a pool that uh, archaeologists discovered in 2004. And the man obeys Jesus, and he comes home seeing. Right at the start of the Bible in Genesis, we read these words, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And here in John 9, once more, the creator gathers the dust of the ground, this time to undo what sin had ruined. And here is hope of a great reversal, hope that God will one day fully and finally make all wrongs right again. It's beautiful, isn't it? This is the hope that we all need this morning. Many of us here probably come 
with burdens and sorrows weighing heavily upon us. And maybe perhaps for you this morning, they feel just too heavy to bear. Maybe it was a real struggle for you to come this morning. I'll be encouraged by these truths, by these words. If this miracle is just a foretaste of what's to come, how great the fullness will be one day. Behold, I am making all things new, says God in the book of Revelation. And he is always faithful to his promises. So as we begin to encounter Jesus this morning, what is the response of your heart right now? Are you drawn to him? Or are you blinded by his light? You see, this man has had his physical eyes opened. But this physical miracle, it's pointing to something deeper, his need to have his spiritual eyes opened, his spiritual sight restored. You see, all of us are spiritually blind from birth. And we do need God to do a miracle in us if we're going to be able to see. We need God to open our blind eyes to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. In fact, the only way for us to enter the kingdom of God and enjoy this good, beautiful world to come is by coming to see who Jesus Christ really is and worshiping him. You see, Jesus is the only way in. But the fact is that many people and we see them in this passage, stand in the light of Jesus' presence and are repelled by it. They're blinded by it. We'll see that now in our next section, interrogation. Let me ask you a question. How does someone become a Christian? How does someone become a Christian? I think sometimes we get caught up with the idea that believing is this kind of instantaneous thing, that people move from no faith to complete faith in just a moment. Now, of course, this happens, and praise God, when it does. And yes, there is a moment when our eyes are fully and finally opened. Absolutely, there is. But in many cases, coming to that saving faith, well, it's a process, isn't it? Did you notice that when it came to the physical healing of the man, Jesus asked him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam rather than just healing him straight away? Why why did he do that? Why did he send him away to wash? Well, Jesus was giving the man the opportunity to exercise obedience and faith, wasn't he? And if you like, this man gave Jesus the benefit of the doubt. He went and washed, and he came home seeing. And now we see something similar happen in the man's spiritual journey. Jesus initiates this process of investigation in the man. Jesus gives him the opportunity to understand the truth, to have his spiritual sight restored. The question is, will the man be an honest investigator? Will he have a genuine commitment to the truth? Or will he cave to the pressure that's about to be placed on him by the authorities, even by his own family? It's intense pressure that he's about to come under. Notice how the man initially refers to Jesus when people are asking him how his eyes were opened. He calls him the man they call Jesus. Made some mud and put it on my eyes. At this point in the narrative, he considers Jesus just a man. The pressure on him to explain what happens really ramps up in verse 13. Look down at it there in your text. Here the religious elites get involved. Uh, It's a bit like those public inquiries when someone's called to testify before a bunch of MPs and they kind of barrage them with slightly aggressive questions. So we picture this man surrounded by all these important people looking down at him, kind of disparagingly asking him some pretty tough questions. And one of the big issues at play is what Tim mentioned in his talk last week from John 5. The fact that Jesus had carried out this healing on the Sabbath. People were divided over Jesus because some were saying he can't be from God because he he doesn't keep the Sabbath. 
Meanwhile, others were saying, well, how could he possibly open this man's eyes? He's blind from birth. Only God could do that. He must be from God. And so the blind man's caught in the middle of this debate. What is your view on who Jesus is, they ask him in verse 17. I'm sure most of us have been in that situation where we know that no matter what kind of answer we give, we're going to be shot down. Maybe it's some kind of dinner party, and we know there's people there who are kind of leaning right in their political views, and others there who are quite liberal. Uh, And if your answer leans a bit left, the the guys on the right are going to shut you down. And if your answer leans left, then you're in trouble as well. If you go down the middle, then you get attacked by both sides. It's kind of a lose-lose, isn't it? And it's kind of like that for the man. He's caught in the middle of this debate, and no one really seems to care that much about the truth. Everyone is more interested in hearing him articulate the answer they want him to give. And so they keep pressing him in the hope that he'll finally crack. Initially, he hedges. He's a prophet, he replies. Notice a slight progression, though. Not just a man, he's a prophet, but still a little reserved. And it's at this point we reach, I think, the most shocking bit uh, in the whole passage, because it turns out the Pharisees don't even believe he'd been blind from birth. They call for his parents to testify at this sham of an inquiry, and his parents confirm he is their son and that he was blind from birth, but what do they do? Well, they throw him under the bus effectively, don't they? Rather than back up his claim, uh, they say, how he can now see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. He's of age. He will speak for himself. They're terrified of this political, power, political religious power structure. And so they throw their son under the bus. I think it's such a sad moment. Because here's a man whose life's been transformed. He's moved from a, a place of isolation and sorrow to joy. But he's left all alone. The man who'd spent years in isolation is isolated once again. But I think there's a lesson in this for us here this morning. For those of you who are seeking sincerely and honestly to investigate the claims of Jesus Christ, maybe you're not yet a Christian, but you really do want to know the truth. You're open-minded and willing to go where the evidence leads. You, like this man, are committed to being an honest investigator. Or sometimes during that process, you may have to stand alone. Your family might disapprove. Maybe it's, it's different to your kind of cultural background, this Christianity thing. Your friends might mock society, certainly disparaging, isn't it, towards Christianity at the moment. Maybe you'll feel like you're standing all alone, but God's word encourages you to keep standing, to keep searching, and promises that in the end, you will come to see Jesus for who he truly is. In verse 24, the pressure is again ratcheted up. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. That's so revealing, isn't it? This is no honest investigation. There's a predetermined idea of what the truth is. They claim to know Jesus is a sinner. And all of their questioning, well, it's just an exercise in power to try and crush the man and bend him into submission. They'd seen this miracle play out in front of them. It had tons of eyewitnesses. It was like no miracle ever carried out before, and it had transformed this poor man's life. It was obvious, wasn't it, that something like this could only come from God Yet they denied the evidence that was right before their very eyes. They called Jesus a sinner because he healed a man on the Sabbath. They denied the man had been blind from birth at all. They tried to force him to lie. They hurled insults at him. And eventually, they accused him of being steeped in sin, and they toss him out. It's ugly. It's an ugly denial of the evidence, of the facts before their very eyes. They get more and more angry and more and more blind blinded by the light of the world. Bishop J.C. Ryle puts it like this, they were determined not to believe 
They were resolved that no evidence should change their minds and no proofs influence their will. They were like men who shut their eyes and tie a bandage over them and refuse to have it untied. This is such a dangerous place to be. And can I urge you this morning, as we encounter Jesus together, please don't shut your eyes to his light. Maybe you've already decided that you know who Jesus was and he wasn't who he said he was. Maybe you think the Bible, the teaching of the Bible, it's backward. Society's moved on from that sort of thing. We're now much more enlightened. Maybe it's because acknowledging Jesus as God will have an impact on your life, what you choose to do with your time, your money, your body. It might impact your relationships, who you date and and how you date. I went to uni with a guy who told me he could never become a Christian because he was much too selfish. He wanted to live his life, his way, by his rules. I was surprised at him being so honest, but I appreciated the honesty. Maybe that's you this morning. But what if your conclusion about Jesus is wrong? That would be a tragedy, wouldn't it? The light of the world has come to reverse the curse of sin. We saw it in that beautiful miracle, to pay for our sin himself, to prevent us having to face the the just judgment of God that we rightly deserve, to make it possible to live the life we, we were created to live, free from suffering, free from death, free from hell. Yet it's possible to blind yourselves to the fact we have a lot of evidence right in these gospels. I'd encourage you to investigate them. They hold up, they're watertight. It's possible to blind yourself to the facts. The Pharisees claimed they could see. They thought they had a monopoly on the truth. And Jesus didn't fit into any of their categories. He was to be discarded, therefore. Please don't let that be you this morning. Seek to have humility as you stand in the presence of the light of the world. It's dangerous to shut your eyes to the truth. And it's even more dangerous to claim you can see when you're actually blind. Jesus makes this danger very clear in verse 41. In John chapter three, we read these words. This is the verdict, light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who, hate, who, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Meanwhile, the man is moving in the opposite direction, isn't he? As the Pharisees get darker and darker, as they face the judgment of God, well, the man is becoming more and more, he's entering more and more into the light. He can see more and more clearly. And he's such a likable character, I think, because he doesn't just cave in. He keeps countering these vicious questions with kind of quick-witted responses, kind of cheeky responses. He shows real loyalty to Jesus as well throughout and gratitude for what he has done to him, unlike the man that Tim talked about last week who who kind of dobbed Jesus into the authorities. His testimony is bold and it's clear. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see he can't deny what's happened to him, right? He, He can see clearly now, he can't deny it. And he's a great example to us who are Christians here this morning, I think. God has done a work in us, right, as Christians, that we cannot deny. We were blind, spiritually blind, but now we can see. And so we need to be declaring that with boldness, with tenacity, no matter the opposition. And the pressing question for us, I guess, is this. Do we have people in our lives that we can declare it to? 
It was a report issued just recently called the Talking Jesus Report 2022. And it's a survey which seeks to understand the state of faith in the UK. And it found that 46% of practicing Christians don't know any non-Christians well enough to invite them to church. 46%. So a great starting point for almost half of us here this morning would be to work hard at making some good non-Christian friends in 2023. Let's think, how can we show kindness and hospitality to non-Christian neighbors, course mates, and colleagues this year? It's a real challenge to my heart. Are we in that 46%? Well, let's ask God for opportunities for help to make non-Christian friends and show kindness to them this year. The encouragement in the survey was that 54% of the UK population actually claim to believe in the historical Jesus. They believe he's a real historical person. I was surprised at that. And remarkably, 45% were prepared to say they believed in his resurrection. I thought that was remarkable. So we should be less afraid. We should be encouraged. People already believe more about Jesus than you think they do. So let's have the boldness of, of the man in this passage. In verse 27, he cheekily suggests the reason the Pharisees are pressing him so hard is they actually want to become Jesus' disciples as well. And that enrages them all the more. They belittle Jesus further claiming they have no idea where he comes from. Listen to the man's reply and see how his spiritual eyes have opened still further. Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. No one has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Do you see it there? First, he calls Jesus a man, then a prophet, then a man from God. His journey to life is almost complete, isn't it? And we reach our final section, salvation. The man has been tossed out of the synagogue, and he's likely experiencing excommunication at this point. That was what his parents feared. People would have been shunning him, giving him dirty looks in the street, severing ties with him. But I love what happens next. It just shows the heart of Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus hears, learns he's been kicked out, and he comes looking for him. Jesus Christ is unwaveringly loyal and deeply compassionate. If you lose your family because of your faith in Jesus, if you lose your job because of your faith in Jesus, if you're mocked, if you're ridiculed, he will stand by you no matter what. And on the cross, Jesus faced isolation, the ultimate isolation, scorn and ridicule and cruelty so that one day you will never have to face it again, so that you will never have to stand alone throughout all eternity. And he finds the man, he asks him a very simple question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Remember, this is the first time the man's seen Jesus with his his physical eyes. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I might believe in him, so I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. This is a beautiful moment. It's the moment of the man's salvation, the moment his spiritual sight is fully and finally restored. Jesus has taken the initiative, and the man has been willing to go where the evidence led him. The light of the world had shone into the darkness of his life, and he didn't shut his eyes. He places his trust in Jesus, and by worshiping him, he acknowledges that Jesus is more than a man, more than a prophet. He is, in fact, God in flesh. As Ku Klux Klan member Thomas read the Bible in his prison cell, his sins came to mind one after another. He was convicted, and he cried tears of repentance. 
He knew he needed God's forgiveness and that it only came through faith in Jesus. And one night he knelt down on the floor of his cell and prayed a simple prayer. He confessed his sins. He asked Jesus to forgive him and take over his life. And you know, that night utterly transformed Thomas. He woke up with a hunger for God's word, he said. He says that God delivered him from hate. He began to grow in love for other people, including the black inmates in the prison and a Jewish lawyer. And upon his release from prison, Thomas went to university, got involved in campus ministry, then pastoral ministry at a racially mixed church, and ultimately he became a champion of racial reconciliation. And Thomas marvels at God's patience towards him. He said, truly with God there is no sin too great to forgive, no bondage too hard to break, and no pit so deep that his love isn't deeper still. You see, Jesus Christ opens blind eyes, doesn't he? We've seen evidence of that in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. We're all born blind and therefore we all need to have our eyes open. And if Jesus can open the eyes of Thomas, a violent racist man, then he can open your eyes too. Jesus Christ enables us to see all his commands as beautiful and good, to love and obey our heavenly father and to seek his kingdom above all else. Jesus Christ enables us to understand the reason why there is so much hurt and pain in the world and to have confidence in the promises of God and hope based on the resurrection of Jesus that one day the new creation will be ushered in, free from death, free from mourning, and free from pain. You see, knowing Jesus, you know the truth. You come to see the world as it really is. Your eyes are open. You have 20-20 vision, just as the blind man did just as Thomas did. So if you're a Christian here this morning, this passage calls our hearts, I think, first to worship. To worship God for the extraordinary miracle he has done in our lives. And then it calls us to action, to share the truth about Jesus Christ boldly, courageously, and consistently with those around us. And if you're not yet a Christian here today, firstly, you're so welcome. It's so great to have you with us. But can I encourage you to be an honest investigator, to keep following where the evidence leads. The evidence is overwhelming. Please don't shut your eyes to the light of the world. And if you have questions, I'd love to speak to you afterwards. I'm going to be sitting at the front here. Do come and chat with me. And as Will mentioned, on Wednesdays, every Wednesday, I'm going to be down at the church here this Wednesday for the opportunity to chat more about this passage and think through any questions you might have about Christianity. Please do keep investigating. Please don't shut your eyes. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus, the light of the world, the one who stepped down into darkness so that we might see clearly, to to enable each and every one of us, each and every person here this morning to know you, Heavenly Father, in a real and personal way. And Lord, I pray that we may not shut our eyes to Jesus Christ. May we be committed to following where the evidence leads. May each person here know the joy of having their spiritual eyes open, their sins forgiven, and the hope of this new creation, utterly unspoiled by sin and death. We thank you and we praise you, Father, that the death of Christ in our place and his glorious resurrection have made this possible. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.